0: And although the three persons of the Godhead historically, we find that primarily God, the father working in the Old Testament, God, the son working in the Gospels that's found in the New Testament. And this is the time of grace where God, the Holy Spirit is among us working in the church today and the helper drawing people to Jesus. He also teaches believers about the nature, the words and the works of Jesus. He is our teacher.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Find our places in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. The last time we went through the Gospel of John, it took me two and a half years, so I spent a little longer going through it. So I'm kind of going through at a, for me, a more rapid pace, but I needed to break down chapter 14 into two teachings, picking up in verse 15, verses 15 through 31. And the reason I gave it the divide here is because at this point, Jesus began speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work Of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He'll do so in chapter 14. He'll pick it up in chapter 15 and also address it in chapter 16. And as I said last week, these are really some key verses coming from Jesus Christ himself about the work and the operation of the Holy Spirit. It's known as his final discourse and it takes us from chapters 14 through 17. And so as we continue in chapter 14, Jesus begins, as I said, Teaching about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I cannot think of a greater authority than our blessed Savior on this topic. Father, we pray that you would just, uh, through your spirit of truth, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, not only of your word, but of the work and operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, that we can participate in these godly pursuits, that we can Join in with these greater works that you have promised to those who believe in you. And not that we should in any way uh, obtain any glory from the things that you might do through our lives, Lord, but that in you and in every way you should be glorified by uh, the gifting and the works that you have given us. We pray, Lord, teach us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Verses 22 through 24, he said... And we will come to him. And so Judas, and I love it, in this section, as I said last week, we had uh, Peter, uh, Philip, and now we have Judas. They're asking questions. And I I love questions. I think we learn through questions. And Judas, not Iscariot, John points that out for us. Uh, He's also known as Jude, as one of the 12 disciples. He asked the Lord, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself or reveal yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And so this time it's Judas, not Iscariot, that asked the question, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world. And the difference is that to those who believe in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to his children. He reveals the love of Jesus. He helps us to keep his word. And as a result, we discover that also the father loves us. And Jesus said, it's not my word. It's the father's word. I'm just relaying to you that which the father desired for me to speak to you. Paul wrote about it this way in Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so again, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. First John 2, 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word truly love the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. He who abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And I think that's why it's so important to know the word of God. You know, I'm not very good about giving you my philosophy of life. I don't want to give that to you because I know that the word of God has a guarantee connected to it. God said that my word will not return void to me. It will accomplish those things which I desired. But I also know that my words, there is no such guarantee. And that quite often, they might return void. I could say that there's no way it's going to rain today. And 10 minutes later, there could be a storm coming. I was watching. This has had nothing to do with the message. I think it was so cool, though. You know, we have our iPhones today. And we're able to watch storms come through. And we had uh, pretty big rain last Saturday night. And Sunday, there was rains coming through. And Lily was uh, asking me about the storm. Is it going to rain? I'm looking at the radar. And I'm watching it come from the west, as it often does in this area. And I said, it looks like we're going to be good right now. But it looks like we're going to get nailed about an hour from now. And we're watching this radar and this red, yellow, dark cloud heading our way. And right when it got to Lake Villa, it broke up and disappeared. And I was just like, Lord, are you putting this protection around our town? Because we were not touched. It was kind of cool to see. And I think that's what God does. He, he comes into our hearts. He protects us. He walks with us. And he manifests himself to us in the love of the father and of the son. It's made manifest in the life of believers. We discover the truths of God. And then he goes back to the Holy Spirit, verses 25 and 26. The helper. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so with his name, the Holy Spirit, we discover two basic aspects of his divine nature. One, that he is holy. And second, that he is spirit. One, that he is holy. It's hagios in the Greek. It means to be sacred. And it could talk about uh, something being set aside as sacred, being physically pure, morally blameless, religiously or ceremonially consecrated unto the Lord. But the Holy Spirit is all of these things and more. He is pure. He is blameless. He is consecrated. He is holy. And spirit itself, we find in both the New Testament, pneuma is the Greek word, in the Old Testament it's ruach. They both mean wind or spirit or breath remember jesus breathed on the disciples and said receive the holy spirit and it speaks about this mystery of the holy spirit himself and the activity of the salvation that comes to the believers as jesus said to nicodemus in john 3 8 the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes so is everyone who is born of the spirit he is holy and he is spirit. Not simply the force of God, but the third person of the triunity of the Godhead. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, where each person of the Godhead works in unity to accomplish their divine purposes. And although the three persons of the Godhead, historically, we find that primarily God the Father working in the Old Testament, God the Son working in the Gospels that's found in the New Testament. And this is the time of grace where God the Holy Spirit is among us working in the church today. And the helper drawing people to Jesus. He also teaches believers about the nature, the words and the works of Jesus. He is our teacher. The great evangelist from Chicago DL Moody speaking about the need of the Holy Spirit work in the life of the church today. He prayed this over a hundred years ago. The greatest need of the church today is more of the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. I would say it is even more so needed today. This is something which Peter acknowledged as well in that first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.33, where he explained, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of the Father and having received from God the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out this, which you see and hear today, that he explained the activity of the Holy Spirit to the uh, Jews that were there in Jerusalem on that day, that this is the very promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the helper coming upon us, the helper who teaches us and reminds us, I believe of the nature, and the words and the works of Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus saying, peace, I leave you and peace, I give to close out this a chapter, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, and my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, That when it does come to pass you may believe I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandment so I do arise let us go from here and so Jesus by that arise and let us go from here he's still at that last communion meal with his disciples He's about to make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, well, he's going to teach. And we'll read about those teachings in chapters 15 and 16. But here he begins, peace I leave, peace I give. Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Has anybody here ever had a troubled heart? We all have, haven't we? In fact, I read this, and sometimes I think, Lord, easier said than done. I know what you're saying, but my heart is troubled. And we have those uh, circumstances going in our lives. Uh, most of you know Mr. Don Sherwood. He was going through a, a troubling season in his life. He was actually doing some work around the church at that time as well. And I caught him one day in the foyer looking out the window, and I could just tell he was troubled. And so I walked up, put my hand on his shoulder, and from behind just said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And uh, we ended up praying. And, and you know, sometimes what goes wrong comes around. And it was Mr. Sherwood who caught me looking out the very same window once with a troubled heart. It was probably when Lily was going through breast cancer that he came up and he put his hand on my shoulder, said the very same thing. You know, sometimes it is easier said than done. The Lord promised his peace. I don't know about you, but this is underlined in my Bible. My peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It has been said that you cannot know the peace of God apart from the grace of God. And so the grace of God, it always precedes the peace of God we need the grace of God first but when we get God's grace salvation through Jesus Christ comes that peace Romans 5 1 says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth we sing that every Christmas and the angels did as well right But Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 12 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, rather division. In this world, there's going to be tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And it's not that Just finding peace with God, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, but letting the peace of God rule our hearts. And that's what we need to learn as believers. That's how we have that untroubled heart, by letting the peace of God rule our hearts. This peace that surpasses understanding that guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as the Apostle Paul would write, and one that we have quoted from this pulpit often, Philippians 4 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses understanding, that tells us that we don't have to understand the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. But in the midst of the troubling circumstance, we can find a peace that surpasses understanding. That peace comes from Jesus Christ. The late pastor, teacher, author, it it almost reads like Dr. Gusick's, but it's not. It's a little bit different. And uh, I'm having a hard time to even pronounce it properly. But he wrote... True peace comes from yielding all to the will of God. Let him have his way. Let him solve the problem. And then the heart can be at peace. This is the peace Jesus had when he faced the agony of Calvary. It is peace grounded in the promise of the joy set before him. Hebrews 12 2. this is the peace offered to us as Christians. Christians do not need pleasure, affluence, influence gratification desires instead they obtain peace through fellowship with god their peace is within and the world cannot understand it nor can it take that peace away the world doesn't understand the peace that we can have in jesus christ nor can they take it away but jesus said to his disciples here i have told you Again, a little cryptic, but he's saying, I'm going away. I'm going to come back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to my father. Verse 28, for my father is greater than I. And now that I have told you before it comes, when it comes to pass, that you may believe. Three times we have the Lord specifically in the Gospels telling his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He would be arrested, that he would die and be put to death and that he would rise again. And in each time we read about that, it's in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke would tell us that they didn't understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. They were blind to this at this point. They thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem as a second coming Messiah. The Messiah that we're waiting for, that's the one that they were hoping for as well. They did not understand the mission and the work of the Messiah of the first coming. Don't get me wrong. It's the same Messiah, but he has two stages of his work. And at the first coming, he came to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Thus, he said, I'm going back to the father. If you love me, you would rejoice in this. I'm going to the father and my father is greater than I. But I tell you before it happens, that when it comes to pass, that you may believe. And this is what happened with the disciples. Once they saw the resurrected body of Jesus, once the Holy Spirit, uh, the Lord breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit, they gained the understanding of these, what seemed to be very cryptic teachings prior to his going to the cross. But if Jesus's watchful care was not enough to give comfort to his disciples to give comfort to us also know that god the father is watching over our lives to those who believe in jesus first john 320 says if our heart condemns us god is greater than our hearts he knows all things jesus told them in advance of the things that were about to happen to him his death burial and his resurrection That afterwards they might believe that he truly was the son of God. I know that they had confessed it prior to this. But Jesus hadn't went to the cross yet. They didn't have a, a total understanding of it at this point. And Jesus in John 13, even revealing his betrayer to them, saying this very same thing in John 13, 18 and 19. Similar, he said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen but that scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass that you may believe that I am he. So the Lord was teaching them in advance. And then he said, the ruler of this world, I will no longer talk much with you. The ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. The ruler of this world, speaking about Satan's hour, it was upon them. It was going to be short-lived but it was coming upon him the ruler of this world satan who when adam and eve ate of that forbidden fruit they forfeited the right to rule over god's creation god gave them dominion over his creation and it was forfeited to satan at that time and jesus calling him the ruler of the world in john 12:31 here in john 14:30 again in john 16:11 And Jesus came not only to pay the price of our sins, but to redeem the world back to his father, its rightful heir, Jesus Christ. This was Satan's hour, but thankfully it was short-lived. Only for three days could he gloat over what happened to Jesus, because on that third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15.45 tells us, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last man, Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. He says, this commandment my Father has given to me, that the world may know that I love the Father, and as my Father has given me commandment. I think verse 31 ties so importantly to verse 15. I didn't really put this in my notes, but... A preacher can prepare a study and the Lord keeps speaking to him even as he ponders the things. And and this could go on for another couple of days. I'll get my head wrapped into chapter 15 shortly. But Jesus began for us in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here in verse 31, he says that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Jesus said, I love the Father, I keep my Father's commandments. And then he said to us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He reveals the importance of obedience, even the obedience of Christ to his Father. It revealed the love that he had for the Father. It revealed his mission and his work on the cross. The very cross of Jesus Christ is evidence of Jesus' great love and obedience to his Father. It's also evidence of God's great love toward us. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I love Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him, with Jesus Christ, freely give us all things? God, who did not spare his own son, he paid the ultimate price that we might have fellowship with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. it's my prayer today. Maybe you just need that hand of reassurance on your shoulder today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not that the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It may be that the peace of Jesus Christ would guard our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, for what you have taught us this day. Or perhaps, Lord, simply reminded us of these truths. I pray, Lord, now that you would work in our midst. We learned today that, Lord, you are with us, in us, and can come upon us through the empowering of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that we would just open our hearts to you now. We'd receive that which you would have for us through your word. And now as we close in this song of worship, Lord, if there are those who need ministering to through prayer, as Pastor Kevin and myself are down front, Lord, May they come, that they just come really before you to open their hearts to you this morning, and we'll pray with them. But Father, as we stand and sing this last song, minister to our spirits by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ.